the biggest imprint in our lives comes from what we receive or don't receive from our parents. The biggest imprint in our lives comes from what we receive or don't receive from our parents. You often find this out humorously when you go to college, Micah. You got a car when you were 16? I didn't get a car. My parents never gave me a car. Or you were allowed to date? How long did you have a phone? These kind of revelations. I've always thought that when Dave Ramsey's children grow up, one of their big revelatory moments is going to be, you got an allowance? You got money just for nothing? Oh, with our dad, it was always, you know, son, you work in commission in this household. <laughs> we all have those things, right? Okay? The b- biggest imprint in our lives comes from what we received or didn't receive from our parents. In my childhood, there were moments along the way where I wasn't sure of my parents' blessing. I wasn't sure of it. It was shaky. I worked really hard. Part of the way that I wanted to get it and and snatch it was to be a straight-A student, be on the honor roll, be in honor band, get the academic letter jacket. And that was my attempt to say to mom and dad and to the world, I'm valuable. I'm valuable. Love me. Accept me. My brother was on the same quest, only his methodology was different. He wrecked the family car twice. Same goal, just different means to get there. (laughs) Different means to get there. Growing up, you may have faced some things in childhood that made you uh, aware of the fact that you lacked. And maybe it's because you were the dumb one or the fat one. And your brother or your sister was the smart one or the fast one. Maybe it's because dad was unpredictable. And some days it was, I love you, you're my... And other days it was, I can't believe we had kids. You know, those kind of things. The unpredictability of it. But there's a good chance that most of us in this room today received a curse and not a blessing from home. And I want to talk about that because that curse has marked you, has shaped you, and in some ways defined you. And to do that, I want to talk about Bruce Wayne for a moment. Bruce, remember, in that moment, his parents are killed. It's a random act of violence. But Bruce believes that it's his fault. Who needed to leave early? Bruce got scared because of an episode when he was younger with bats and a well. And because of that, because of the, of the opera, he was scared. He wanted to bail. He wanted to get out. And if he hadn't wanted to get out... They wouldn't have encountered that guy in the alley. It's his fault. He verbalizes that later to Alfred. Okay? And because he carries that guilt, it's my fault. I lost my mom and dad. It becomes a burden and it becomes shame and it fuels itself and eventually becomes anger, just unbridled anger. And last week we talked about the fact that it forced him, and it didn't force him, but he chose to don a mask and cover it up and go under the cover of darkness and extract revenge on criminals because of the wounding that he received as a kid. A curse will take you to dark places. It will. It can ruin your life. A few months ago, we witnessed a little snippet of what it means to carry a curse into adulthood through the funeral of Whitney Houston, superstar, diva, film star. And in the matter of an overnight, we learned we were surprised, right? We were surprised because who thought Kevin Costner could preach? I mean, who thought? I mean, some of you, you need to go Google Kevin Costner's eulogy of Whitney Houston. 
But he gets up there in this predominantly African-American church, and he gets behind the pulpit, and he talks about the film that he made with Whitney and the fact that standing where he was, he could see in her this fundamental insecurity, this fundamental belief that she had about herself, that she was simply not good enough. And he said in that funeral, Whitney, I wish you could see what I saw. I wish you could know that your heavenly father looked at you. And when he looked at you, in his heart, he said, good enough. I wish you could have understood that on this side. Powerful speech because it speaks to this thing that we carry from childhood. So what if, what if your childhood was more like Bruce Wayne than Clark Kent? Well, if that's the case, I want to wade into that today. In order to do that, we're going to be in some family systems in the Bible, Abraham's family. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27. If you ever struggle from time to time, if you're a parent right now and you think, man, we're messing up our kids. Oh, honey, you're having the conversations. We are so messing up our kids. You know, they're going to be weird. They're going to be this, you know. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible and look at what these good, dear people did to their children thousands of years ago in a faraway culture, okay? Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, we are looking at Isaac, who was the son, the favorite son, the son that came late in life to his father Abraham. And we're looking at his two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the firstborn of twin boys. Jacob was the secondborn of twin boys. Esau was a redhead. He was hairy. He was a sportsman. Jacob was a homebody, uh, a bit of a mama's boy and a thinker. And this is what the Bible says in the first four verses. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son. Yes, father. Esau replied, I'm now an old man, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. And then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Isaac believes he's going to die soon. And he wants to pass on a very important blessing to his favorite boy, Esau. There's a problem with that. See, God had told Isaac years ago, that it wouldn't be Esau who got the special blessing, the blessing he got from his father, Abraham. That blessing would go to Jacob. But for whatever reason, Isaac had, had figured out and had calculated his whole life, no, 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 God's got that wrong. No, 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 God has to be mistaken. It's Esau, it's not Jacob, it's Esau. And so in this four verses right here, Isaac's going to try and do an end run around God. And get what he wants, which is his favorite son, to get the blessing. It's deceitful. It's dishonest. And so he sends Esau off. But he's not aware of the fact that Rebekah was listening in. That's verse 5. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen. Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I'll bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen, listen, 
Listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks. Bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau's a hairy man and my skin's smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of bless me. Isaac didn't know that his wife was listening. His wife had a favorite son too. Her favorite son was Jacob. There you see marital unity right there, walking out in all its glory. Isaac and Rebecca walking in together in the same page. It's awesome. Who said go get the food? Rebecca. Who said go put on some goat skin in a few verses? Rebecca. Who said she would take the blame if it all hits the fan? Rebecca. Who said go leave home and lay low while your brother Esau cools off? Rebecca. Rebecca's in charge of this whole thing. She has an answer and a solution for every problem. And she's going to do an end run around her husband to get the outcome she wants for her favorite boy. Now, some of you would be going, poor, poor Jacob. Poor Jacob, just a pawn of his mom. Now, wait a minute. There's some dynamics with Jacob. He knows he's going to be deceiving his father. And I'm thinking that probably in his head, he's doing the whole, well, you know, God said I would get the blessing and if there's a little chicanery involved, if there's a little trickery, I'm, God, it has to be okay with that. The end justifies the means, doesn't it? And so this plays out, and boy, does it hit the fan. Verse 18, so Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? He knows. Jacob replied, it's... <clears throat> It's, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you've told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. <clears throat> Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord God, I mean, the Lord God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so that I can touch you. He's blind. Make sure that you're really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son, he asked? Yes. Yes, I am. Isaac is suspicious. It's awful quick to have caught game in the wild, open field, and prepared it. It's not, it's not Esau's voice. There's a whole lot of deception and manipulation going on in this family, isn't there? Again, if you ever think your family's dysfunctional, please read the Bible. Read the Bible, okay? There's a whole lot of deception going on here. Now, some of you might be going, of all the people in this story, poor Esau, right? Poor Esau. He's just a pawn for everyone. Well, now, wait a minute. A, few, a chapter earlier, Esau is hungry, and he's hungry, and Jacob has prepared some stew, and Esau sells his, quote, birthright. Well, what is that? 
Back in the olden days, this is how they would take care of an inheritance. If I had $100,000 and I had two sons, my estate would be divided three ways. The older son would get 66000 The younger son would get 33000 It paid to be the first out of the womb. Okay? And so what, what Esau is selling at that point is the double portion, the kind of economic part of being an oldest son. But Hebrews 12.14 refers to that act as a godless act. Well, why would that be the case? I think when you see this story play out, you see that Esau doesn't value what's valuable. He doesn't value what's valuable. And in the end, he doesn't value God, who is the ultimate value above all values. And so this plays out. Verse 34, after Isaac has pronounced this blessing, Esau comes in late. Verse 34, when Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. Verse 36, Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First, he took my rights as the firstborn. True? Do you really take it? No. First, he took my rights as firstborn. Now he's stolen my blessing. Was it his blessing? No, God made clear who was going to get the blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? But Isaac said to Esau, I've made Jacob your master and declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I've guaranteed an abundance of wine and grain. What's left to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, verse 38. But do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. And he broke down and wept. There are a lot of people in life who are searching for a blessing. And I want to talk about some of the ways that family systems can play out that produce a curse instead of a blessing. There are a number of them. There's the flood or drought scenario. That's where one sibling is the favorite one, one is the cursed one. Maybe you grew up and you were the fat one or the dumb one, and your brother or sister was the smart one or the fast one. And so it was flood or drought. And believe it or not, I've met people who are grown-ups who were the favored son or favored daughter, but because they have a strong sense of justice, it became a curse for them, and they're angry with their parents because their parents didn't treat all the kids fair. They didn't give their brother and sister a fair shake. All right? There's the just-out-of-reach scenario. The just-out-of-reach scenario plays out this way. You bring home a report card. Dad, Mom, look, seven A's, one B. What's the first thing they say? What's that B doing on your report card? What's that B there for? Kapow! Can't tell you how many sports dads I've seen after a game. The kid shoots two out of three baskets. And what's the thing the dad's talking about? The one basket that was missed. Just out of reach scenario. There's a blessing that was exchanged for a curse scenario. That's where there's been abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. You're given a burden instead of a blessing. Then there's the emotional minefield scenario. Emotional minefield scenario works out this way. You open up the fridge one day, that's fine. You open up the fridge the next day, shut that cussing door. Notice I cussed in church. That's because often with the uh, emotional minefield scenario, there's a lot of cussing that accompanies it, all right? 
There's the unyielding tradition scenario. That's the scenario where you grow up and you're going to be in the theater and it's going to be great, but dad's a dairy farmer, grandpa's a dairy farmer, great-grandpa was a dairy farmer. And when you announce your grand plans, dad sits you down with grandpa present to go, this is three generations of dairy farmers, Gary. Guess what you're going to be? But dad, unyielding traditions. This can play out too when you bring a spouse home. And the potential that your fiancé is from the wrong social circles. Unyielding tradition scenario. Then there's the half-blessing scenario. That's anytime you have divorce or abandonment or death. That's the half-blessing. And a lot of times for kids of divorce, the way it works out is dad's totally engaged the first year. The first year of the divorce, you know, week, every weekend or every other weekend or whatever the judge wor- worked out. And then dad's girlfriend comes along somewhere along the way. And then it's like every few months. And then your birthday comes and goes. And dad forgets for the first time. That's the half blessing scenario. And all of these things can leave a hole. It can leave a curse on the inside. But I believe God can take that and turn it into a blessing. I believe God can take that and turn it into a blessing. And I want to ask some questions, and I want to flesh this out. First question I want to ask is this. Do you want a particular curse to define you and your relationships? If you grew up and you're looking back at childhood and you're thinking, okay, yeah, there was lack. Yeah, there was a curse. Do you want that to define who you are and all of your relationships from here on out? Do you want to hide behind a mask and do what Bruce Wayne did and just pretend the whole time? Let me ask a second question. What if, what if God can take a curse and exchange it for a blessing? What if he can do that so that his grace and his goodness can be seen in you? See, last week we talked about what it's like to be a beloved son or a beloved daughter. And now I want to flesh out what this means in this set of characters, in this story found in Genesis, in this family. See, if God wants Jacob to have a birthright, Esau can't keep it. If God wants Jacob to have a blessing, Esau can't get it. If God wants Jacob to have a blessing, Isaac cannot give it away. If God wants to bless someone, there is no stopping it and there is no stopping him. Here's where it pivots because God has said, if you put your trust and confidence in his son, you become an adopted son or adopted daughter of a heavenly father. And guess what? God wants to bless his heavenly children. And there is no stopping him. And there is no stopping it. Well, here's some practical right? Practical advice. Because some of you are going to be like, okay, well, that's great pie in the sky. Where does the rubber hit the road? Well, if you have some curse from childhood, let me recommend some things. One, be honest. Be honest with yourself. Pushing it away will not work. Burying it will not work. Be honest about the curse. At some point, maybe be honest with your parents, but here's my caveat. If you've never crossed the threshold threshold of forgiveness and you've not forgiven them, conversations with them about this will never go well. Never go well, okay? And, And that forgiveness is a whole set of topics for another day, but that's... So be honest with yourself, and if you've crossed the threshold of forgiveness, then be honest with mom and dad. Secondly, 
ask some questions, probe around their childhood, because often people who pass on a curse were just cursed themselves. And it's helpful to know what the situation was for them and the things that they faced when they were nine, when they were six, when they were 13. But lastly, I want you to know today that God wants to bless you. And God wants you to have a blessing. And, and to cement this for you, I just want to bring up three people from this page of dis, uh, these pages of dysfunctional people. The first is Rahab. Rahab was a cursed woman in a cursed profession living in a cursed town. Rahab was a prostitute. I have not met anyone who's entered prostitution because it was their life goal at age 16. Not once. No one has ever said, you know, when I was just a little girl, I thought the day will come. No, no one ever says that. No one ever enters prostitution because it was their life goal, okay? There was a curse involved. And not only that, but she's in a city, in the city of Jericho, that the book of Joshua says is so bad, so far gone, the culture is so rotten that God's perspective is, let's wipe it out and start over. Not worth, there's nothing redeemable there. And, and so Rahab puts trust in a God that she hasn't even you know, heard of just by rumors and things that are coming into the city. And she s- spares some Israeli spies, spares their life. And guess what? Her life is spared. When Jericho is leveled, her, she and her family are spared death and destruction. We know from the pages of the Bible that this cursed woman later marries and has children and grandchildren. Do you know who some of her grandchildren are? Ruth and Boaz. David, the king of Israel. And of all people, Jesus. She's one of the people that I can't wait to meet on the other side. And I plan to say, now Rahab, prostitute, cursed. How did that become great, 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 great grandma to Jesus? That's taking a curse and turning it into a blessing. Well, let's talk about David, one of her descendants. David was the runt, the smallest of a litter of boys. And when word comes to his father that one of his sons is going to become king, he gathers his sons around, but one. Who's the one that gets left in the fields? Who? David. It's not an accident. It's not because, well, you know, he's just busy working. No, I really believe that dad decided in his mind and in his heart who was king material and who wasn't. And so David has his own things to work out in life. The ironic part of it is David becomes the king against which all other kings get measured in the Bible. After David, there's a phrase about every king. He was like his father David, or he was not like his father David. David, the runt of the litter. David, the one that his dad felt wasn't king material, became the measuring stick for all other kings. Well, then there's Joseph going back quite a few years. Joseph, the favored son of his father, the one with the technicolor coat, you know what I'm talking about, the robe, the special one, the favored child, the child who could do no wrong, child. And you would think, well, that's a blessing? Seriously? Come on. When he was in the pit and you were to have talked to him at that moment when his brothers threw him in the pit and say, hey, Joseph, how's that coat working for you? 
He probably would have said, you know, I think I could be good to be one of 12. I think I, I could be good with that. Um, when he gets to Egypt and Potiphar's wife wrongly accuses him of trying to rape her, and then he's thrown into prison, how did that favored status work out for him there? We go through this whole story of Joseph, who at the end becomes a means through which his entire family is delivered. He becomes a blessing out of something that for much of his life was a curse. Here's what I know about Rahab, David, and Joseph. They were not better than you. God did not love them more than he loves you. The blessings that they received were not because of their performance on a list of do's and don'ts. It was simply because they trusted God and they trusted that God would do what he said, even when it looked to them like it wouldn't work out. That's called faith. You can have that kind of faith. And God, the Bible says, God rewards faith and God blesses faith. And so today, if I could summarize it in a clear bottom line is, I don't care what you brought to where you are today, God can take that and turn it into something amazing and turn it into a blessing so that when we're all on the other side, you can say with a smile on your face, yes, I believe God is good and blesses his children, including me.